Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We are well and truly into 2021, aren't we? A week down or more. I know. If I have to say Happy New Year's to one more person, I'm done. I keep doing it unintentionally. <laughs> when does it get to the point where, you know, yeah, you haven't messaged someone Happy New Year's and it's a few days later and you don't want to be rude, but then where's, when's the cutoff date? Surely now. by now, six, seven days, January 7th. We've had a good week. We don't need to say it anymore in our first interaction, right? No, so sorry. Um, we're not saying Happy New Year's. We're already partly in. So it's well and yep. truly the new year and it's just time to get on with the show. Let's get on with it. So are we going to jump straight in? I think so. All right, let's go. So the first question, judgment slash criticism slash people putting you down, how to take it professionally and personally. Mm. Mm. It's really hard. I mean, like no one goes to work. Like I think we split them up. So no one goes to work to be judged or to be put down or to be made feel like they're not doing a good job. So Mm. it's really important to identify the culture that you're in because sometimes there is toxic work environments. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm assuming that let's assume even from a social media standpoint, you know, putting yourself out there professionally can be quite daunting and you're going to cop criticism. And, you know, the more you put out there, you open yourself up to that. And I still struggle with that. I mean, no one likes to have someone go against you or put you down or particularly personally as well. Um, You know, we go about our daily affairs trying to do the best that we can and to not hurt anyone, I'd like to think. Um, So then to have someone kind of challenge that, it can be a little bit confronting. It's like, ooh, because you get used to people sort of agreeing with everything. Well, I do anyway. And uh, you just have to look at it, look at the challenges. Um, If it's constructive feedback, great. There's a way Mm. to go about things. If someone's giving Mm. you feedback, take it on board, that growth mindset that we need to have. However, you know, judgment, criticism, people putting you down, it's always a reflection on the other person. Why are they taking their time to put you down? Are they judging Mm. themselves and then seeing those things in you that they don't like? You know, often when we see something in someone else that annoys us, it's really a quality that we annoy ourselves with. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, very well said. I read a really good quote the other day and it was like, the only way to truly avoid avoid criticism is to do nothing, say nothing or be nothing. Yes. And that really stuck with me. I was like, oh, wow, like you actually can't. And sometimes it's dangerous to always have yes men in your corner. Like what you said, Mm -hmm. Danny, you get used to it. You know, you're always going to get people cheering for you. I noticed this like with social media a lot, like at the start, you know, when you've got like, you know, a smaller following, everyone loves you. They're your followers. They, Mm -hmm. They want to support you. As you get bigger on social media and, you know, you see this a lot with people that struggle um, with large followings, you're going to attract some of the no men. And that's good for your ego because if there was no consequence to what we said or did, you know, the world would be a bad place. So it's Mm. okay to have criticism. Um, We just need to learn to not take it such to heart. Like when it's constructive, it's always good. Uh, And when we come into things with a creative, like how can I be better mindset, then we usually take it on board. But if it's coming from an insult, we need to identify whether it's a reflection of them or whether it's actually beneficial for us. 
Yeah, for sure. And then um, if it's in a real life scenario, you know, change your environment if you can. Unfortunately, friends, family and, and all of that, the closest people in our lives often have the loudest opinions, particularly if we're doing something different. I mean, you know, remember the first time you sort of told everyone about bodybuilding and what we're doing and I was the outcast and you have the comments, oh, are you going to eat that? Can you eat this? You know, you do this so much and that all these comments. And I just had to um, you know, take it with a grain of salt and understand, mm. cool, what I'm doing is different to a lot of people. It's different. It's not the norm. Cool. Mm. It's new to them. All right. I'll remove myself from the environment or change who I hang out with or stuff like that. You are in control of who you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you do if you couldn't remove yourself from an environment? Yeah. Then I think it's a lot of inner work. And if, <laughs> It goes both ways. I mean, you can have a discussion. If it's one person, you have a discussion with them and, you know, try and find middle ground. But then if it's just someone that you just cannot connect with at all, then you have to do inner work, I suppose. And then just, it's hard. It's not easy at all. Cause, but it's, and it's ongoing. Online, you can easily cut people off. But in yeah. real life scenario, it takes a lot of inner work, I think. Yeah. Unfortunately, like unlike online presence, you can't sometimes unfollow people in real life, you know, whether it's your work environment. I know a lot of people that work for large organizations, cultures ingrained in some of those places. Uh, So it's really hard to change some culture. And I can really relate like the same as um, like in hospital settings, like, you know, I would not feel comfortable pulling out scales in the staff room. I'll tell you that much because it just wouldn't be received the same way as, you know, as what it would in the gym, right? Mm. So your, your environment does matter, but it does come down to being very self-aware and okay. And for me, it was a, almost like what you said, Danny, looking at people as, oh, they're curious. They don't quite understand and that's okay. I yeah. don't need to judge them based off what they don't know. Yeah, yeah. And we always must remember that we are the sum of every emotion we've ever felt. So if you have those really angry people, those really just people that grind your gears, you know, you got to feel sorry for them. What is going in their world to make them react like this? Oh, like, 100%. yeah, yeah. You ever get to the traffic lights, right? <laughs> and someone will pull up next to you. It'll be like, Karen, you know, and Karen. she's like fli- flipping you the bird. And, yeah. And you're like, <laughs> I just sit there and I'm like, wow, your life must suck. Yeah. Like your life must suck or you must have something real heavy going on because oh, yeah. like emotions give us motion for sure, but there's a reason why we feel those emotions. Um, and it's really important to be able to refrain from sometimes actioning those. Like mm. it's okay to feel things, but in our behaviors, that's when we truly to do show who we are. So when people go out and they judge and criticize and put down, it is a reflection and them being not self-aware and being able to control that. Yeah, for sure. So keep the inner work strong, back yourself, remember why you're doing what you're doing. And, you know, if something needs to change about how you're going about things, take ownership as well on that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're in the power to surround yourself with like-minded people who will back you. And that's so powerful. Yeah, it's just about finding those communities. And I think we're going to talk about that um, a bit later on, but finding those communities. And I think that does tie into our next next question. question. Go for it. How good. do you think it's possible to compete without a support system? And mm. what I want to say, it's not just competing. Like, do you think it's possible to do anything, any goal, anything you're working towards about a support system? That's the real question. Competing is an extreme goal, right? Where you could really um, lean on other people and have making sure that you're ticking all these boxes, but it doesn't have to just be competing. 
Yeah. It's natural human nature to want to feel a part of something and accepted because back thousands of years ago, if we were an outcast in the, the pack of humans or whatever, or the pride, uh, no, that's the animals, in the group of humans, um, you'd be killed because you're mm. the, the outcast. So it's a survival instinct to want to feel a part of something. And that carry over carries over into anything. And yes, we love um, you know, validation and people saying, well done and all of that. So it's ingrained in our DNA. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it is important to have a support system. Yes, it starts from us always. To have mm-hmm. expectations on other people is too dangerous because A, mm-hmm. they don't know the rules that we've placed and B, people aren't going to always meet your expectations, hardly ever. So start with a strong internal support system and then you yeah. will attract other people around you. Mm, yeah and I know like things have changed right like competing's changed a lot um even like now with social media it allows us to connect with like-minded people so much easier than what it would like even five years ago yeah um so it's okay if you don't have that support network right now you can outsource it and find it and there are so many options you really just got to look for it um in your local community as well as social media like supportive communities are everywhere and i think social media is just that good way to know that like just look up a common hashtag there's thousands Mm. of people that have the exact same interests with you and competing there is a whole nother world of people out there like that yeah, for sure. And that post that you made um, the other day went off about sisters supporting one another. And I feel like that's very much embodied now in the competing culture because we all realize how tough of a sport it is. And it's so much easier to have that support system. It's just beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking that about that as well. I was like, gone of the days of like bitchy high school drama, like mm. sitting at tables, judging other people. Like, you know, you just grow out of that shit. And mm. if you ever hear like, you might, you know, you might hear people sort of bitching about a friend or something like that. And I'm just like, wow, I so don't think like that. No. I'm so not consumed by that thinking anymore. I've got far bigger problems to worry about. Um, and you realise like once you start lifting up other people and supporting other people, like they're not your competition. It, it, um, it enhances what you're doing. It makes you a better person. Yeah, and most of my closest friends, you know, we met through competing when you slid in the DM that time we went to go watch the show. Ellie Kappa, who I, I'm not going to just all name names now, but, you know, the person that I'm, I'm living at, her house, I met her in a posing class competing, you yeah. know, getting your makeup done, become friends with people and your coach, this and that. So many of my closest friends now who I would have at my future wedding came from competing. Yes, Crazy. absolutely. And it's because we're a special breed. Um, even I noticed like with um, like my own coaching, like when you put girls that have similar goals, similar interests, same focus points, yeah, it just works because we're all working towards a similar thing and we know what it feels like to not be supported, don't mm-hmm. we? Like we know what it feels like to feel a bit of shame or a bit of guilt or a bit of um, um, like we've got to hide something. So when you can normalize your goals and speak about them and, and, and be like, Oh, like me too, you've got that goal as well. Like that mm. sounds foreign to me. Cause it's hard to find people. It's really hard to make friends as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, I found that the closest friends that I've made now going forth have been when I was focusing on what I wanted to do, whether it be competing or a course or an event doing when I chose to do it based on my interests, then I met met people accordingly. I didn't go there to meet people. I I just said, cool, what does Danny want? What do I want? Right. 
I want to take all ownership of everything, put all the expectations on me rather than someone else because I know what it feels like to expect something from someone and, you know, it doesn't happen. Take ownership, do the things that you love and you will meet that support system. It just Mm. happens. Yeah, it just takes time. And I think, you know, what we do as well, Danny, it's very niche, right? Like the the interest, we're lucky to have each other and we're lucky to have people in our lives that do have very common interests and can normalize our goals and not make us feel abnormal. But some people haven't found that yet. But I really just want to like, you know, say that that group is there that those friends and and those supportive networks are really out there you've just got to be aggressive in finding them like like what danny said i slid in the dms like i (laughs) went up and spoke to people at the gym i started Mm. following people that um, had like-minded interests i started Mm. putting myself out there more so that people could see my personality and and sort of connect with me or not and and yeah and that's what you've got to do you can't just expect like this support just to walk in and sort of be like i'm going to support everything that you ever wanted to do like we can we Mm. can hope for it and i like you know you've got family and partners and things like that 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 support you but they might not quite have that empathy and understanding that you're after because they don't understand the the stress of competing, for example. Yeah. Like, we'll be able to sit here mid prep next year and be like, we're struggling and genuinely understand what that feels like for each other. And I think that's so valuable. Absolutely. And it's yeah. equally as important to remove yourself from the situations and people that aren't serving you to allow room for that. Cause you can't be sitting with, you know, in an environment that doesn't serve you where you're not enjoying yourself and you can't thrive and be yourself and then expect new relationships to form. We only have a certain amount of energy and where we channel that is so important. So take -hmm. yourself away from that and then create opportunities for the new ones to come in. Yeah, Mm. you can't just click your fingers and it changes. You have to Mm. take yourself out and then seek the other um, pathway. Yeah. And I put something up on my story, um, like the other day, it was something about, um, like, I wish I had the courage to, and Mm. the amount of people that wrote in there, I wish I had the courage to like leave a toxic relationship or something to do with the relationship that wasn't serving them. Wow. A lot. And I was like, that's hard. Like, I know that there's family and things like that, that are probably contributing to that, but a lot of it's not as well. And I think it's okay to know that, you know, it's okay to outgrow friendships and relationships when your interests change. It doesn't make you a bad person, especially that, um, you know, that early 20 stage. I think a lot of yeah. people go through that. Yeah, that's one of the most transformational ages, really. You, you're finding who you are and be, become a little bit more independent and all of that. And yes, the unknown is scary and we can be so used to, you know, the people or the things that we're doing for that certain time. And it's kind of like, well, what if I don't find someone else? Or what if that job isn't better? And what if, what if, what if? Cool. But would you rather live a life with dissatisfaction and then regret that you never tried or give it a go? And chances are you'll get what you want. Yeah. Yeah, mm. absolutely. But nothing happens like just out of the sky. You know, we have mm. to work hard for regardless. And even relationships, they take work too. Mm. Mm. It's all about the work. All right. I think we answered that one. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. Let's get into a little bit of training stuff. Uh, Tova XX, risk kill low bar squatting all of a sudden. Never have for three years prior. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to low bar squatting, it's so important that our thoracic mobility, so upper back and shoulder mobility are in check. We can't be stiff and then expect to have a bar on our back with our arms up holding the bar. Mm. If we're in that hunched over position, there's no chance that it's going to feel nice. And the joints mm. that cop it, normally elbows or wrists. Um, yep. So I would first look at 
your yeah mobility of your shoulder and upper back first mm, yeah that's a really good point because a lot of people don't have that mobility to get the bar back and actually <gasps> get their upper body in that position and what happens is that makes you naturally stick your chest up and then that ma- naturally makes you curve through your lower back um and then obviously you t- your wrists are really small joints the same Tiny. as your elbows so you know, if you're squatting a decent amount of weight or not even like any, even a little amount of weight, you're going to take that load through your wrist. Yeah. Um, so thing- I would, oh, you go. No, no, you go. I was going to say maybe this person increased the load quite dramatically as well and just not used to it um, mm-hmm. or even not being completely activated in the muscles of the upper back because you you need to squeeze your shoulder blades down and back and squeeze everything together as well to get that bar on nice and secure. So not only would it be a lack of mobility, but then also a lack of strength in the upper back perhaps too. Mm, yeah, definitely. Something like when I, when I started um, low, like going from a high bar to a low bar quite a few years ago now, um, I had a similar thing. It was really only in one wrist though, which is mm. interesting, but it was one wrist and it was just constantly sore. I could really pinpoint where it was. You'd yep. be like, right in on this tendon, right on this tendon. What am I doing? Mm. I went and saw a Cairo. Like I did so many things. Um, and then it wasn't until I started training with a strength and conditioning coach that he was like, you're, and I was squatting 100 kilos. Like I was mm. moving a good amount of weight. And he's like, yeah. you're literally supporting um, so much of that weight with your wrist oh. um, rather than rolling it, the wrist out and almost pushing the bar onto that shelf and lifting mm. your elbows up, creating that. Because I got good shoulder mobility so I can get the bar down. Yeah. But it was just a matter of not rolling my wrist out. And ah. to be honest, I see that a lot in yeah. a lot of the technique stuff that I do with my clients is um, supporting the weight with um, their, their wrist because yeah. we're so fixated on what's going on with our legs because it's a squat. We're not yeah. so much thinking about our wrist or our hand position. Mm, yeah really good point and a lot of people would you know get treatment just on the wrist well no you've got to look further up the chain that's what you ended up doing to then fix that look Mm. further up what's happening at the shoulder what's happening at the upper back all of Mm. that comes into play and every time you do a squat deadlift bench press anything they're all whole body movements and exercises Mm. in a bench press you use your feet in a squat you use your upper back It's so important and people um, still don't really link all those parts together. So sometimes before getting under the barbell, you need to do shoulder activation. You need to do mobility work before getting Mm. under the bar for sure. And like what you said um, about low bar and high bar, if low bar is a little bit of a challenge for now and your joints are getting a bit cooked from it, swap to high bar just for a little bit and then cycle those two lifts. Mm, yeah high bar even a safety bar like safety just bar. options um so that it suits your body better even like front squats like yeah try out different ones don't get too married to one variation and then feel stuck there when it's not working there's mm. so many tools that you need to be able to um, pull out of that tool kit when things aren't going your way absolutely and, um, wrist is definitely one Yeah, I've just swapped from low bar to high bar squatting because I was low bar all day, every day because I love low bar. I can go heavier. I remember you saying that to me. Low bar, low bar. Yeah, now I've I've been programming high bar um, to learn how to recruit more quad again and just get that movement pattern. And it's carried over into my deadlifts. Now I'm able to use my quads more, but I had to relearn the movement. I'm like, oh my God, I've like forgotten how to squat. So it's so important to change like Mm. and you have a lot of people doing low bar all the time and you know bending forward and they just can't grasp it so if that happens to you where you're finding that you can't just get that leg drive or sit in your hips use Mm. a high bar for sure 
Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I always default to a high bar um, before getting anyone to go to a low bar just so they can learn proper mechanics of squatting, like pushing knees and hips simultaneously at the same time rather than learning with sort of dumping into their hips and sinking back like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. You do forget neurologically. It's like, oop, knees, like what are they yeah. supposed to do? Um, and it's like the same for me. Like I don't train a lot of quads. So it does Yeah, no, you can't. Of- You're quadzilla, mate. Mate, I started doing leg extension. I had to take them out. They literally grew in like three or four weeks. It's That's crazy. Sick. I was like, no. Nah. Give me some <laughs> of that good stuff. <laughs> mm. But yeah, learn how to alternate your tools and swap up your squats accordingly. You should be cycling things. Yep. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Um, so what is the reason for hip extension being poor only on one side? Any tips for equalizing? Go for it. So in regards to hip extension being poor on only one side and any tips, you know, something I would probably say would be first your setup and execution on both sides um, and then looking at your overall programming. So like, are you including that unilateral um, movement pattern throughout your training program to make sure that you don't have discrepancies in strength on each side as Mm. well as hip flexors and and hamstrings, like not just at the hips, but everywhere else. So that's what I would be looking at. I think with hip extension, you do see a lot of people really tilting, like really like tilting their pelvis. Yeah. The lower back's trying to do it. Their lower back's trying to do it. It's really hard to identify yourself. And this is why I'm a big fan of like take your tripod to the gym, record yourself, have a look, or get someone else to do it for you and show you because you don't, you're not aware of it sometimes. Yeah. And then you're only aware of it when your lower back starts to hurt or your hamstring, hamstring tendinopathies and lower back pain. It's always the glute not being able to hip extend or extend at the hip. Mm, um, yeah. So whether you you go for a long walk and then your back starts to hurt, that's how you know you've got poor hip extension because when you walk, that's what walking is, hip extension, rep after rep after rep. And then, yeah, if you come back and your um, lower back's felt like it's had a workout, well, yes, it has been. It's, it's been yeah. taking over the glute's role. Um, and then in, you know, people who can't feel their glute in a hip thrust or things like that, they're all really indicative of poor hip extension. So as you said, unilateral work, working one side at a time, that's the answer. We have yeah. to, but also include core work because if the body knows that the core is strong and stable, it's going to allow the glutes to do their job and the lower back won't get into protection mode and think it has to do everything. If we're stable in the core, stable in the pelvis, the glute will do its job. Yeah, absolutely. You just got to put yourself in the right positions and set yourself up with the right load and the right mechanics. Um, I will say a lot of people have a lot of ego when it comes to hip extension with a cable and they just put it on like third pin and go for it. It's too much. You re- Like when I first started doing them, I was so weak because it's an isolated movement. It really takes a lot of neurological control. Do you mean um, the kickback? And- Sorry. Yes. Cable kickback? Yes. Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, with the cable no, kickback. Right. Mm. You just you need to start really light. And if you're getting any pain or feeling a lot of discrepancies or getting a lot of um, pelvis instability, you need to drop the weight and refine the technique before you um, progress that movement or load. Yeah, great. And, you know, if there's any, any movement in your lower back, you're not doing the exercise right. So next time you log on to Instagram and, you know, this isn't a dig at people, but this is just wanting to educate as we do, Sherelle, you know, if you see someone doing a cable exercise and their lower back's bending or their hips are moving, they've gone too far. The range Mm. is too much. It's a tiny range. Your hips should be still, your lower back should be still and just 
mm. the legs moving and that's it. It's just a little movement. It burns like hell. It's a beautiful exercise, but please keep an eye out for that. Mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So again, it just comes down to programming. Unilateral yep. work should make up like a good chunk of your week. You should have a lot of it, to be honest. Like unilateral really does serve a purpose in everyone's programming from time to time. And as you iron out these issues, you know, that's when you can sort of start to reduce that. But I at least do one unilateral movement in almost every session. You have to in every session, whether it be in your active, your activations at the start is a non-negotiable. Then your compounds, then your accessories have to have some sort of unilateral work, but also some stability work as well. Mm, yeah, Yeah, really good. Uh, moving on. All right. What is the point of decreasing weight and going to failure in sets? When can you stay at the same weight and then go to failure? So a drop set going to failure versus the same weight and going to failure. Yeah. What so is we're the really, point? We're really talking about rep ranges here. And I just want mm. to sort of start off by saying, you know, our body doesn't know reps and sets it doesn't know how much load you're using it really doesn't know any of that sort of stuff we're really just talking about time under tension um, and training to failure so I guess the difference is um, talking about for example if I did 10 reps to failure what would the difference be if I did 10 reps to failure drop the weight kept going to failure drop the weight kept going to failure what is Mm. the difference between those two and Mm. when you look at that it really is time under tension and volume at the end of the day that you're playing with there as well as perhaps energy systems but that's probably too complex for this um what's your sort of take Danny? Yeah, I only really do proper drop sets to failure um, really close to comp when I'm just there to burn energy because I can't drop my food anymore. I can't increase my cardio anymore. I just need to keep shocking the body in ways that are cooked. But you Mm. wouldn't do it because your recovery suffers every time you do that because it's very full on drop sets and failure mixing them in one. So Mm. I don't do them now hardly i mean sometimes maybe on a leg extension or a hamstring curl a very safe machine however i don't go out there and gas myself because then you end up like last week the question on burnout you end up burnt out you don't recover well it's Mm. just too much if you just throw all that in but i feel like as a little ace of spades when you need a one-up um particularly at the end of a comp prep go for it that's when i do it yeah Yeah. but you don't do it on every exercise Oh, no way. It's a good, um, it's a good tool to have up your sleeve. And I definitely use it uh, throughout di- like mesocycles, like depending mm. on the exercises. So a lateral raise machine, like oh, yeah. I will, um, a cable kickback, I will, um, even abduction work, I will. Yeah. Like those smaller muscle groups that can tolerate the volume. For me, I feel like I'm very fast twitch with a lot of my muscles. I respond really well to high volume work as well as like heavy, intense work. Yeah. Um, But it depends on the muscle group and the exercise. I wouldn't do it for compounds. I wouldn't do it for even a lot of lower body stuff. Like it's Mm. it's taxing to take all those muscles to failure. And like what you said, you're not just frying out the muscles. You're also frying out your CNS. And that has a huge toll on your recovery index. Um, Mm. And you've got to look at what you're trying to do for the rest of the week as well. Like sometimes there there was this one session and I like, destroyed myself on the hack squat i couldn't train mm. for a week after it i really pushed myself too hard oh. um, so you gotta you gotta wait you gotta weigh it up and be like yeah is it worth it for the stimulus that i'm going to get and the one thing i don't like about drop sets all the time 
Like I might use them in my last week of a mesocycle. Um, but if you include them all the time, it's really hard to measure progressive overload and progress. If you're just training for the burn and the pump into failure, like you're not actually monitoring probably the loads that you're doing because it's really hard to do so. Yeah, it depends. there's a difference between being with your mates and you just want to carry on a little bit and ruin each other and you're holding the pads down and all that versus <laughs> monitoring and training like a, an athlete as well. It's very old school bodybuilder type, like go, all right, you go to failure, put the pin down, go to failure. But, you know, wearing this for the long game and it's cool to have drop sets in one block of training. I mean, I prescribe drop sets to people, but, you know, again, they have to earn the right for drop sets. You know, A, they have to be doing the exercise correctly and B, they have to have the stamina and endurance to do it. Um, Mm. So again, it's a tool that you'd use. I wouldn't always use it. Yeah, that and rest, like I like rest pause sets, but more than like just traditional drop sets of going to complete failure. Like if I'm trying to get over a strength curve or again, some of those muscle fibers, like in your delts, I feel like I could rest for 10 seconds and then do another whole set. Like Mm. they just cover really quickly for me so rest pull sets are usually a better way to go i'd look into those rather than just drop sets yeah cool good question um moving on shall we so what are some ways to help someone with with shitty ankle and hip mobility cool well the first answer i'd say would be to include mobilizing drills in your workout so ankle mobilization and hip mobilization Mm, yeah and something that's neglected in leg training is lower limb training so calf um training is is not like a staple in a lot of females programming Mm. and it really should be um it doesn't have to be all the time but it should be sprinkled in just to train that because like the best way to get mobility in certain movements is to also train in that range of motion. So mm. if you're not doing, um, you know, calf raises and actually forcing your ankle to go into that position, like, of course, your ankle mobility is going to be shitty. Yeah. And a sign of that's a very good point, actually. And a sign of lack of mobility can also come from the body being in protection mode. So a lot of people come to me and say, I've got tight hamstrings. When I bend down and touch my toes, they just hurt and they're very tight. Do I stretch them out? And everyone knows that I'm going to say no. Um, So then what do we do? Hmm. We let the body know that it's actually safe to bend down and touch your toes. How do we do that? Through stability. All right. We do some planks. We do some glute work. We leave the hamstrings alone. We retest. All of a sudden they can bend down, touch their toes. We've done nothing with their hamstring. So their mobility increased through stability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's crazy. The biggest light bulb that went off in my brain. I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, yeah. So that, yeah, in combination with training the muscle um, yeah. as well and, and the yeah. joint um, and then certain mobilizing exercises. A lot of people think they, they have poor ankle mobility, but again, look further up the chain. I would always, I, I normally challenge that. There's not too many people, unless you've had a surgery in the scar tissue that actually have that poor ankle mobility or we need to work out why are your calves overworking because they're making up for a lack of hamstring and glute strength. Cool. Mm. Spend less time on the ankle and more time on the hamstring and the glute as well. Yeah. I had, I had horrible ham, um, not hamstring, um, ankle mobility just because I didn't train calves for a long there time. You go. Train, train every other muscle in the body, but I'm like, well, calves. And then I'm like, yeah. oh, I should train it not just for aesthetics. Like training's not just for aesthetics. You need to be able to train things for um, like function. And I think a lot of people are like, how can training calves help my glutes, right? That's the main argument. It's like, well, if you can actually get more mobility at the ankle, you can get more knee flexion. You get more stretch. Yep. More, like it all travels up. It all flows on. Um, 
Um, yep. And something, a really good point you mentioned there, Danny, is about, you know, when we, when we have more stability, we have more range of motion and, you know, it comes down to the nervous system because it governs everything that our muscles do. So when our nervous system feels safe and protected, we're pain-free, we can get more range. And I think yeah. I told that story one time about, um, when you're a patient that had general anesthetics and I was sort of like, how can they get more range? Like how come ah. their limbs are just going crazy? Mm. And it's the same sort of thing as like, well, their, their nervous system sort of offline. So mm. that's probably why. Yeah. The protection um, mode disappeared. Mm, the guarding something something I like doing for ankle mobility um and as a part of my warm-up for a lot of the times as well is putting a lot of weight on the seated um calf race and then just allowing my body to sit in or my calves to sit in it passively at the bottom so like stretching out my ankles to really force it into then dropping the weight and doing some calf races before my um, training session yeah nice that's a good one there's a few that there's one you can do with a stick as well you hold the the dowel stick and then um put it on one side of your foot and then bring your knee around it as well just mobilizing the ankle there but i like your one with the um the calf raise and i've found that my calves are tiny that's that no yours yours are good i don't i don't i feel like you just have to thrash calves like thrash them because how many steps do you take a day and for me, anyway, it's my that's my one area that I'm like, damn it. I feel like Millhouse off The Simpsons. Your calves are never big enough. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, training calves helped me walk in high heels. Because mm-hmm. I was so shaky on the high heels. I'm like, hang on a minute. Why, A, I didn't spend enough time practicing um, previously to my recent comp. And then I, the one thing that I added in was just standing in plantar flexion. So with my toes down as if I was in a high heel and just spending time there. Mm-hmm as well mm. like that really yeah. helped walking in heels mm. Mm. i'm going to challenge you on that calf thing though i Which, don't know i don't you know how sort of like i've got a lagging muscle group for us it's always calves but it's usually because we prioritize every other muscle group above it yeah um, you're right i don't train it enough yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're right <laughs> i used to think that i was training calves hard until eugene's like you're not that's not enough weight for that like yeah the calves are strong like i don't know They're if strong. you've seen his calves but like they can hack a lot of load and a lot of times they've got like five kilos and it's like every time you take a step one whole leg is like supporting that so you need to get strong in these movements not just like your back squats but your calf raises as well like you can use things like leg presses um doherty's that i train at as well has like every calf machine under the sun oh that's cool the donkey one have you seen that where it goes oh that's the the old school where you bend over yeah i love that because (laughs) the main thing with um calves is with the standing sometimes it's so heavy um that like it's it's a lot through your your back and yeah it goes all the way down your spine Mm. yeah yeah so what i like to do is like single leg for that and then um get on a leg press for another straight leg variation or just different forms of like you know, you need to train seated and standing, but experiment with your calf training. You know, we all Mm. know how to train glutes from every angle. It's about time we focused on some other muscle groups as well. Yeah. Calves, you know, toes pointed in straight, pointed out, hits the different fibers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. I'll add it in next time. I feel like getting around the calves. It's the one thing I'm like, I want to be on stage and just have, have calves that sort of belong with the glutes yeah, that sort of belong you've got cyclists gymnasts they have the yep. best calves you know people who just walk and run a lot mm-hmm. um but it will make pants fit better like that's my one problem it, it's tied around you know waist glutes quads calves are just lagging and it's like mm, <laughs> damn you yeah, that- 
they need work they need work need but work. you know again it's I had them as my a series for a while because yep. we know in terms of like exercise order whatever you train first gets the most attention yeah I was like well you know where do carbs go on a program normally at the end a series f like if f. we get that's in half ass and that's why that's why our like our calves are lagging and a lot of people say oh you know they just don't grow or like oh you know my triceps lag or whatever we we come up with whatever stories we want to tell ourselves but it's like actually I just don't prioritize it as far as my training and that's okay Mm. but sort of realize that like if you increase your ankle mobility and get stronger calves like the flow on effect like what you were speaking about yeah, it's very important. I mean, but yeah, you never really get people coming to you being like, yeah, I want bigger calves. I don't, not females anyway. I never really do. But now that my attention's on it and everyone's attention's on it, I don't know. I think big calves are sexy. They I are sexy. Yeah. There you go. All right, I'll train them just for you then, Sherelle. But just want to add, there's a big genetic component in that. There's oh, a huge of genetic course. component in calves. Luke has the best calves. He Does just, he? like... Yeah, that he's always joking, like flexing his calf because he's just got genetically really big calves mm. and mine suck. And I'm like, and I train them. What's going on? So there yeah. is a big component with a lot of those smaller muscle groups. Well, yeah. And then the length of them as well. If you've got really long tibias or, or that lower portion of your yeah. leg, um, the yeah. calf's going to be stretched out where some people have that just a ball on their the yeah. back of their leg. Yeah. Yes, your insertion points. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There you go, calves. And then, yeah, hip mobility, same sort of thing. Just activate everything around it. Um, get down in a squat position with your elbows inside mm-hmm. your knees, roll around, hip aeroplanes. There's lots that you yes. can do. But, mm-hmm. yeah, don't don't um shy away from those areas. Get them moving and then the mobility will come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We've not been reading the names out, have we? Let's add it for the, the last. I reckon it's fun. I feel sure. like people would like hearing their name. Okay. I like when you say my name. <laughs> anyway let's keep going bonnie dawson no we did that she, bonnie was the um ankle and hip mobility harley Kerry, yeah. please do a little potty on what exercises you do as warm-up slash activation i need more inspiration on upper and lower body warm-ups mm. Mm. yeah I, I, I love how she said a little potty we'll just a little like- potty it's, it's not going to be a little podcast, but we can try and get through a few things that both Danny and myself um, would include for upper and lower body um, warm-up stuff. So maybe we start with the easy one, which is upper body. Um, mm. In terms of warm-up and activation, what sort of things do you go through? Yeah, so I suppose with any portion of the body, it comes down to the fundamental things of um, making sure that you can move through all ranges of motion. So if you've spent your whole day at the computer in a rounded C shape, you need to mobilize the opposite way and get that extension and bend back. Um, And that comes from upper and lower body. Um, So always think, okay, which positions have I not been in all day or, or hardly in my life? Cool, I need to take my range through that. But then also recognize, well, which range do I need for my exercise, for example, on a bench press, if you're leaning back, okay, I need to get some extension happening before I do that exercise. Um, so for me personally, for upper body, I do thoracic extension, so extension of the upper back, and then that carries into my neck because it's not dangerous to look up. People think that it is. People think it's dangerous to look up and bend back. But as a survival thing in the past, we were designed to be able to look up in the trees at what's coming or if an eagle was there or whatever. Um, So don't shy away from those. So I include that. um, And I also include a lot of upper back uh, exercises. So the smaller muscles at the back of my shoulders, um, some external rotation work, and then some lat work as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, very similar. So I make sure that I'm including something for thoracic mobility. And a lot yep. of the time I'll do, um, I might even do dumbbell standing row with my A1. And it's sort of a very good way to, I feel, introduce thoracic mobility through training it as well. So yep. a lot of your training should be mobility. And I mm. think that's what people miss is like, what's the best mobility exercise? It's like, well, your program should train mobility throughout as well. So don't forget that. Um, but yeah, a lot of, um, I'll do something, like I said, thoracic mobility, some extension. I really yep. love um what's that thing like we extend up on the foam roller i love that okay yeah foam rollers are great tools yeah mm. yeah great tools for um upper body and then i'll do um some activation for lats um whether that's i really like bands the way that puts resistance yep. for lats um and then lighter working sets as well like i'll do a couple of those so Good. that's really all i do for upper body you don't need to make it super complicated you know you don't need like a you know you have half an hour full mobility session before you get into your programming it's just about finding what movements you need what range of motion you need and I guess where you're at as well yeah for sure um and then in terms of lower body again some mobility I generally lie on the ground and twist my back left and right I like how that feels when that cracks oh yeah I got that one off you but you do it on the phone roller for a bit more range um But then after the mobility, I add in stability. So my planks and variations, all planes of motion, as well Mm. as the glute work as well. So I always Mm. do um, a little bit of glute work first, just some abduction work to to warm it up. My Mm -hmm. core work, which, you know, this is called the lock five. So Andrew coined this Um, abduction work in the glutes, core work. Um, like front plank, side plank, shoulder taps, and then the hip extension. Because by doing the abduction work in the glutes and the core work first, it will allow for a greater hip extension because it takes your lower back away. It doesn't work um, when yep. you're doing hip extension and hamstrings out of it as well. So mm. if you went straight into hip extension and there's a little bit of a dysfunction there, you will notice that your lower back or your hamstrings will do it first. Yeah. Um, so we got to warm it up and, and get into it. So then you feel super stable and you're ready to pick up that barbell. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, I almost always start with something on a cable. Like okay. I just really love the resistance profile of a cable. It's usually abduction work as well. Yep. Um, and then I'll get into something for stability, like walking lunges um, or whatnot. And then a lot of warm up sets for lower lower body because the stronger that you are, the more warm up sets you're going to need. And that's why like upper body sessions, like an hour, like I'm pretty quick on those, but sometimes it can take me 10 minutes to get into my working weight for a hip thrust. And you'd be very similar, Danny. So oh, it like, takes me ages, oh, 20, 30 seriously. minutes. Mm. Yeah, it's nuts. And it's just because you're strong. So if you jump too high and too aggressively in your weights, your nervous system is just not going to be able to recruit the muscle fibers that it needs to be able to lift that load in the way that you want to. So mm. I know that I like, you know, 20 to 30 kilos is a maximum that I can sort of increase my load on like a hip thrust throughout my yep. warm, warm up sets. Um, and then I'm like, great. I feel like I've had a whole session and I'm just at my working weight. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the art with how many reps you choose beforehand. And so you don't yep. gas yourself too early. Hey. Yeah. 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 And you've got to try that all for yourself as well. Like it's mm. really hard to program. Okay. We're going to do this many warm up sets for this many reps at this much weight. You really got to be intuitive with that and be like, okay, do I respond better to higher reps in my warm up? Do I respond better to lower reps? Like, do I need a warm up of my working weight of one rep? Like you sort of need to figure out what works for you. 
Yeah. And it really just depends on how you feel on that day as well. Like, again, if you've spent the day sitting down, you would need to take a little bit more time. Or if you've just woken up, you're a bit stiff in the morning, you need to take a bit more time on a certain area. Some days if um, I've had, you know, trained upper body the day before, I need to, and I feel a bit sort of stiff um, before I pick up the deadlift. Every time, actually, I do lat work because that's what's holding Ah, my upper back too. So then I add that in. Um, deadlift warm ups take ages, half an hour, really, because mm-hmm. you do all the activation. And then um, I normally jump by 10, so 40 kilos by maybe eight reps, you know, go to 50 kilos for a couple, 60, 70, 80, not like, and then you jump up by 10. But then just before the working sets, I d- might do one or two reps. Yeah. I don't do high reps on every warm up weight. They start high with the empty bar. And then as I get closer to the working set, just bang one in the air. All right, cool. Yeah. We're ready for the working set. Yeah. I call that a feeler. Sometimes when there's a lot of weight on the bar or the machine, it's like a bit scary. So like, if I'm like far out, there's 200 kilos on this, I'm just going to do one rep. And yeah. I would just call it my feeler set. One rep and my, okay, I felt it. My body knows and understands rather than going, okay, from this to bang, 200 yeah. working weight. Um, it's not always physical. Like it's It shocks you. Well. You're like, fuck, that's heavy. Like you're not used to it. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> oh, oh whoa. You have to get used to it. Yeah. Yep. You ever do a set and you're like, that was heavy. Like that mm. was heavy. Like my body can hack it. I'm strong, but that felt really heavy. Oh, your That's- mind has to be in it. It oh. often feels that it looks worse than what it does. That's why video yes. is good. You might feel that your back's rounded, but it's actually good, but it's yeah. just hard. I always, I have to channel anger. That's my mm. emotion. When I train, I have to channel anger for some yep. reason and focus. So like, Eminem's on like Eminem. Eminem. Yeah. Do not make me laugh. Like I hate yeah. when- do you know what I hate when people go oh, halfway? I hate that when someone halfway. tells me I'm halfway. I'm like halfway. <laughs> I'm gonna do that again. True. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. It's the absolute worst. And I did like a conditioning block of twenty reps, and like oh god, you know, halfway of ten is just torture. Yeah, you you wouldn't comment it. on it. Oh, what halfway? No. Maybe in a plank? No. No. Just no. Don't just don't help. even sucks either way halfway yeah and no, i want to go back the other way I don't, yeah I don't want to go half, yeah maybe <laughs> struggling some people really need to know where they're at some people don't like yeah, yeah and, um you know the last couple of reps so I, I used to always count all right two more two more or whatever three more yeah two or three um, more is okay i'm okay with that do you know what i'm okay with is what? having numbers in terms of like okay you've got five more you know i hate when people are like um for the time like oh you've got 10 more seconds that kills me because i'm like Um, i could do as many as i wanted but when they say halfway again there's still no clear-cut number on that how many i can do right in mm. that halfway mark so if someone gives me a number like you've got three more left come on i'm like okay i've only got three more left there's a finish line there's something to work towards and you know what this is the art of finding a training partner who understands you right yeah it's, it's really hard to find someone that you can train with that understands that psychodynamic of you and being able to push and pull. Yeah, psycho is right. I think we sound a little bit ridiculous at how passionate <laughs> we get about that, Hey, eh? The psychodynamic, bloody psychos. Yeah, they get it. They get yeah, it. Absolutely. It. Everyone's different. Just find what works for you with that. But I used to be such a shit when I did boot camps and that. I'd be oh. like, five more seconds. And then oh. I'd be like, five more seconds just to take the piss. <laughs> Oh yeah. This is or, why we have trust issues with PTs. That's I know. 
more. Because <laughs> we were you know, those PTs. <laughs> exactly. Because you say two more and then you smash through the two because you're like, oh, only two easy. more. Mm. And it's too easy. And then you're like, look, the real answer is you're training until there's failure. <laughs> you're, like, oh. <laughs> you're going until you're crying or bleeding. Not anymore. No. Um, what was that question? Activation. Yeah, I, I think we, was that good? Yeah, I think so. We'll move good. on to something a bit more light. So D fit wants to know about um Here is it go. okay to date a younger guy and how young is okay? Yeah, these questions are funny. I want more questions like this, like real life stuff, um, within reason. So is it okay to date a younger guy? How young is okay? Context. It really depends on the maturity level. Hey, and no disrespect to guys, but there's that running thing going around that you take five years off their age, and oh, that's a yeah. maturity level, isn't it? In yeah. in some cases, but um, yeah. I'm just I feel like once have you, you dated over. younger guys? Um, yeah, yeah. One, <laughs> one. How young? <laughs> how much younger are we talking? You know, he was only a year younger than me. He was actually okay. he wasn't even a full calendar year younger than me, but it was enough. Oh. Like what you said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the age it's it's not the age it's the maturity like what you said and yeah. I feel like once you get over the age of 25 it doesn't really matter like you mm. know the difference between a 25 year old guy and maybe a 30 probably isn't huge but the difference between a 25 and a 20 is yeah you're right I think with females as well there's mm. just something with that point of just coming out of high school to then sort of you know establishing yourself there's a, a lot changes in that time mm. a lot I don't reckon I have dated a younger guy to be honest oh, I've been on a couple of dates actually but nothing like fully serious I mean mm. um I don't know I feel like I can relate to to any level but I, I need someone to still challenge me and and talk adult things too even though I can easily carry on and talk about Nintendo all day every day I think I need um a lot of my guy friends are older actually like, yeah, absolutely. I was thinking mm. that the other day. I was like, a lot of the people I hang around with um, are a lot older than me. Um, and that's not a, like, it, it's not intentional. It's just mm. the way, the, the 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 type of person you're attracted to. Even like Luke's a little bit older than me and it's. How old's Luke? 29. Okay, yeah. Twenty-six. Mm. Um, And, you know, at uni that was a big thing. Like when I was like first year, it's sort of like, oh, you know, like the older guys. And even when I was growing oh, yeah. up, like a lot of my boyfriends were quite a few years older than me, but the same maturity as me. So that's the yeah. thing is like, <laughs> you know, we, in my big friend group, like the guys in there, we used to just laugh at how immature they were, like freaking lighting each other on fire and doing weird stuff out <laughs> camping and like, you know, we're just like, have you guys grown up? Like mm. it's it's still, you know, but now they're very different. A lot of them have kids and it's it's, wow. it's very different. So I think it's just that that age group. So yes, it's okay to date younger guys. I just think it comes down to you. Like maybe some females um like to like that, enjoy that little bit of your maturity side and having a bit more fun and playfulness. Yeah, cougar, toy boys, all about it. How good <laughs> when you see see some someone in their forties or fifties or whatever with like oh, a thirty year old? Oh. You're like, go you! Well I just done. want to high five them. Have have your fun. Well Live done. life. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good Absolutely. on it. Yeah, you know, and it's the same with guys when they date young girls. Like, I mean, I think age really like I find it incredibly hard to tell how old people are these days. Yeah. Yeah. 
True. I mean, I pay good money to look younger all the time. So (laughs) (laughs) it is what it is. You just got to get along with the person and then work out what you want in your life. I mean, if you're a very serious person in in your day to day and your work, it might be nice just to have a fun, young relationship again and do the adventurous things. It just really depends on what you want, I think. And how young is okay. Let's keep it legal. I think that's the only rule, really. (laughs) That's about it. (laughs) Legal, absolutely. That's all that matters. Like I said, once you get over the age of 25, I don't think age matters at all. Nah. Everyone's on even plane. YOLO. Good on YOLO. Good question. There you go. Yeah, great question. It's it's awesome to get some of these slide into the DMs. So, you know, we'll be um, getting into a few more structured episodes and looking at getting some more guests on. So if there is anyone that you would love for us to interview, like let us know, let us know what you want to hear and who you want us to get on. Yeah, and then um, we'll be posting more stories for questions as well. Um, Mm. So feel free to ask us anything. Yeah, training, nutrition, mindset, fun stuff, dating, random things. All about it. We're up for anything, aren't we, Sherelle? Within reason. Yeah. Always. 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 It's always a good time. Yep. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. We hope you enjoyed um, this episode. Uh, As always, please take a screenshot, tag myself, tag Danielle, and, of course, the Leg Up Level Up podcast. Leg Up. Let's do it. (laughs) 